powerful. Let's go to Joshua chapter 7 this evening. Joshua chapter 7, and a good worship tonight, amen, that was worth coming for, and so thank you for singing out tonight, that blessed my heart, Joshua chapter 7, and I think as I walk through the lobby, I think you're in Joshua on Sunday nights, but only brought two messages with me today, so it is what it is, okay, so Joshua 7, and it sure has been a great day to be here, thank you so much for allowing me to come, and uh, being here this weekend, and being a part of uh, your spring uh, revival, and trust that the Lord will continue to work tonight. And then tomorrow night and Tuesday night as uh, Jonathan comes in, I know uh, that's going to be a great, great couple of uh, two nights. So come and be a part of that and sure appreciate you as a church. And uh, it's amazing how many times me and my wife will uh, dream about what's going to happen at our church. And we think about how should we do this, how should we do that. And it's amazing how many times we reference, well, what does Ufola do? What do how do they do that? And so we just think a whole lot about your church. I want you to know that. And so we love you as a church. Sure do love you, pastor and the staff. And so it's it's been a great, great uh, day all around, and uh, so I'm just going to jump right in tonight. Will that be okay? And to pack it all in in this time that we have together. If you're familiar with the book of Joshua, then you know that Joshua chapter 6 is the story of Jericho, and that is a chapter of great victory. Am I right on that? But Joshua chapter 7 on the very next page is a story of Ai, and that is a story of great defeat. Can I say sometimes if you're not careful in your Christian life, your greatest victories will be followed by some of your greatest defeats. Let me also say this this evening, I don't care who you are, what your role is, how long you've been saved, uh, how long you've attended church, uh, every person here is just one decision, one mistake, one sin away from a major defeat in their life. That's true for you and that's true for me. Notice Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1. Look at the very first word tonight. It's the word but. That indicates a change just took place and not a good one. Drop down, read the very last verse of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse number 26, the Bible says, And they raised over him a great heap or a pile of stones unto this day. And they raised over him a great heap or pile of stones unto this day. Father, we need you tonight. And Lord, you blessed during the time of worship as we sang to you. We sense your presence is here. But Lord, we need you now during the preaching time as well. And we know that when you work, the devil also works. And Lord, tonight we pray that all is vain except the spirit of the Holy One come down. And I pray that you would one more time today speak to our hearts like we were the only ones sitting in this auditorium. Lord, we need you tonight. And Lord, this is a revival meeting. And when we come to a revival, we expect to be challenged from God's Word. Uh, we expect to hear confrontational preaching uh, at a revival meeting. So, Lord, help us to be in that mindset tonight and uh, help, uh, please deal with us thoroughly tonight and help us to get ready to respond and make the decisions that you want us to make tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never forget the first time we were headed to New York City and everybody in that area who found out we were headed that direction said the same thing. You've got to see the 9-11 memorial. You've got to see the 9-11 memorial. So I told my wife, we got to go see that. And so we got there, and sure enough, even as you uh, tour the city, and many of you have been there, uh, you see the signs that say 9-11, never forget. A 9-11, never forget. And those are not just reminders. Many of those are, are, are uh, advertisements for the memorial downtown. And so we got our tickets, and they said be there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, we went, and of course showed up, and uh, went through the metal detectors, and there's police everywhere. And where the two trade towers used to stand in their very 
very place are two giant fountains. The names of the victims are etched on the outside. And you can look over those fountains and the water goes into the ground. It's a quiet setting. It's a, it's a sobering place. It's a reflective place. But those two fountains serve as a memorial. You say, preacher, what's a memorial? A memorial is something that helps us to remember. You, in fact, you can almost hear the word memory in the word memorial. And today, memorials are statues and plaques and fountains. Uh, but I want to say that memorials did not just appear 100 years ago or 200 years ago. Memorials started all the way back in Bible times. God invented memorials. In fact, the first time you find that is in Joshua chapter 2 or 3. And they cross the Jordan River. God pulls the water back. They cross to the other side on dry ground. And once they get to the other side, they start celebrating. I mean, they're slapping high fives. They're pumping their fists. They're chest bumping. It's in the Hebrew, but it's there. I mean, they just experienced a miracle of God. And so as they're celebrating, uh, God says, wait a second, time out. I want you to get 12 stones, and I want you to stack them one on top of another here, and I want this to serve as a memorial so that you never forget what I did on this day. In fact, one day, your kids and grandkids are going to pass by this way, and they're going to see this pile of stones, and they're going to ask you the question, what mean ye these stones? What's the purpose of this? pile of rocks and that's going to be your opportunity to rehearse the miracle that I performed here on this day. Will you keep reading the next several chapters and uh, God's people are going forward. Uh, they are advancing they are conquering, they are gaining territory. You come to Joshua chapter 6 and that's the story of Jericho that's like one of the most famous miracles in all the Bible and sure enough the uh, walls come tumbling down and once again they just experience a miracle of God and one more time they're slapping high fives and pumping their fists and they're praising the Lord then all of a sudden you come to Joshua chapter 7 and everything comes to a screeching halt and all of a sudden they're not slapping high fives anymore and they're not pumping their fists anymore. And they're not throwing their hands up praising the Lord anymore. And this time you come to the end of Joshua chapter 7. And this time another pile of stones are set up. But this time it's not for a good reason, but for a bad reason. So that you and I and God's people would never forget the lesson of the high price of hidden sin. This evening I want to preach on this subject. Is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in the camp? Can I say by way of introduction, as you enter into this revival meeting this week, your heartbeat and prayer as a child of God ought to be this right here. Lord, I want you to use this week to propel me forward in my relationship with you more than I've ever gone before. As a result of this week, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been. I'm going to see more prayers answered in my life this year. I want to win more people to Christ like Andrew this year. I want to go forward for God like I've never gone before. But listen to me please as long as there is sin in your life whether it's known sin whether it's hidden sin you're not going to move forward for God you're not going to move one inch for God until you deal with the sin that is in your life is there sin in the camp I'm going to show you from Joshua chapter 7 tonight three simple truths about sin 
Number one, would you notice with me tonight? First of all, sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. If you were to go back to Joshua chapter 6 and listen to me, I'm a verse-by-verse preacher six days a week and twice on Sunday, but we're going to skip around a little bit tonight, but I'm going to put the whole chapter together before we're done. When you go back to Joshua chapter 6, that's the story of the battle of Jericho. And you know the story there. They arrived there, but when they arrived, God said, we're going to do this one just a little bit different. We're not going to swing a fish. You're not going to swing a sword. In fact, you're going to march around the wall six, one time a day, six days in a row. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And on that final lap around, you're going to march, you're going to blow the trumpets and the ram's horns, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. They probably said, Lord, we've never done it that way before. Uh, But he said, you can trust me. Uh, By the way, you can trust the Word of God. You can stake your life on it. You can stake your eternity on it. You can trust the Word of God. But he said, when the walls come tumbling down, there's a, I got one rule. Uh, you're not to touch or take anything left over in that city. Now, that would have been different. In Bible times, if you took over a city, the spoils belonged to the victor. Uh, but at Jericho, God was the victor, and the spoils belonged to him. So the rule was, don't touch, don't take anything left over. Yes, sir. Well, they uh, go and march around the walls and the final lap of the final uh, day, they uh, blow the trumpets and the ram's horns and just like God said, the walls uh, came tumbling down. And you don't find this out till chapter 7, but in chapter 6, there is an Israelite soldier by the name of Achan who was making his way back to the tent that day. And I believe as he uh, looked down the, in the sand there, something a shiny caught his eye and he uh, reached down and picked it up and it happened to be some gold and some silver. And he looked looked to the right and he looked to the left and no one was watching and he thought to himself, that, that would make some nice jewelry for my wife or and maybe I can take that to the pawn shop and get some cash and, and no one was looking and he put those items in his pocket and he worked, walked a little further. He looked down and something else caught his eye. It was a, a goodly Babylonish garment and he thought to himself, they don't have these where I come from and I believe he picked it up and tried it on and 38 regular, fit like a glove. And he just thought, I'd like to have one of those. And he looked to the right and he looked to the left and no one was watching. And he took those items, the gold and the silver and the Babylonish garment. And the Bible says he took them back home and he hid them underneath his tent. Chapter 7, verse 21. Chapter 7, verse number 21. Notice the confession from Achan's own mouth. He says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. In verse number 21, you have the confession from Achan's own mouth, but did you realize when you read through that confession, there was a progression to his sin. In other words, long before he jumped off the cliff, there were steps that he took that inched him closer and closer to the edge. And can I say tonight, if you don't want to fall off the cliff, stay away from the edge. Well, just notice it. Bible says, first of all, it started with his eyes. The Bible says, when I saw, when I saw. Can I just remind you tonight that many sins in the Bible began because people did not guard their eyes. I think of Adam and Eve when she saw the fruit and beheld it was pleasant to her eyes. I think of a lot. The Bible says, when he lift up his eyes and, and beheld the well-watered plains of Jordan, which were like Egypt. The Bible says the Potiphar's wife, that she cast her eyes upon Joseph. The Bible says that David, when he saw the woman bathing herself, 
itself. In each and every instance, when the Bible says that they saw, it does not speak of an accidental glance. It speaks of an intentional gaze. See, it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's the second look. You better be careful what you're looking at. Excuse me. You better be careful what you're looking at. You say, preacher, if, if I'm at home trying to watch something decent on the television and I come across a bedroom scene, is that, is that a sin? No, it's a sin if you don't change the channel. I'm not trying to be a hard-nosed Baptist tonight, but listen to me. You know as well as I do, you look at the wrong things long enough, and that's going to whip your imagination up, and you're going to start going places in your mind that a Christian has no business going in their mind. Everybody okay tonight? This is Build Revival meeting, isn't it? Excuse me, teenager. Better be careful what you're looking at on YouTube laying in your bed at night when mom and dad are nowhere to be found. I'm talking about the reels. I'm talking about the TikTok videos. Are you listening to me? You can laugh and you can snicker and you can make fun of it and you can mock it. But listen to me. You're going to get yourself in a world of hurt. Husbands, be careful what you're looking at. Wives, be careful what you're looking at. The Bible still says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Pollute your heart, you'll pollute your life. You say, how do the wrong things end up in our hearts? Through our eyes and through our ears. You better be real careful. Brother Taylor, you better be real, better be real careful. We all need this. Well, sin is so deceptive. It began with what he saw, but then he goes on to say this, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, then he goes on to say that I coveted them. I wanted something that God said that I could not have. Then he took them, he stole them, something that did not belong to him. It belonged to God. And then he says, behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. At that point, once he hid them, what was his mindset? Once it was hidden, once it was covered up, no one's going to find out about it. No one's going to know. My neighbors are not going to know. It's not going to affect Joshua. It's not going to affect the rest of the soldiers. There won't be any consequences. I won't suffer because of it. Listen to me. But he was wrong. He was wrong. He was wrong. Well, how many knows that sin is so deceptive? Well, how often do we sin and the devil comes along and says, that's not a big deal. That won't affect anybody else. That won't affect your, your marriage. That won't affect your relationships. That won't affect your church. I don't like to be deceived. I don't like scams. I don't like to be ripped off. Are you hearing me? I don't like to be deceived. But the devil's a deceiver. And when you and I allow sin and we don't deal with it, we can bind to the deception that there won't be any consequences, it won't affect anybody else, and it is all a lie. Well, how many times over and over and over again throughout the Word of God does God put stories in the Bible that serve as a warning to you and I, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. These things are written aforetime for our learning. God help us to learn. It was Adam and Eve. How many times in the Bible you find this? People cover their sin but God has a way of uncovering their sin. 
Adam and Eve, the Bible says that she sinned against the Lord. And the Bible says that perfect relationship was broken. And that's when the guilt and the shame came. And so they ran and tried to cover themselves up with the fig leaves. And the voice of God came walking through the garden and says, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? But the Bible says that Adam and Eve hid themselves in the presence of God. You say, what does it mean they hid themselves in the presence of God? It means they began to avoid the place of fellowship with God. Let me tell you something. When you allow sin into your life and you don't confess it and you don't correct it and you allow it to go unchecked in your life, you'll start pulling away from God. You'll start pulling away from the Bible. You'll start pulling away from prayer. You'll start pulling away from the church. You'll start pulling away from godly friendships. When you allow sin into your life, you'll start pulling away from God. Mark it down. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for everyone. Well, that day God uncovered their sin. I think of David. The Bible said it was springtime. It was time when kings were to go forth to war. And David should have been out on the battlefield, but he was back in the palace. He was somewhere where he shouldn't have been, and he ended up seeing something he shouldn't have seen. And by the way, all these years later, idle time is still the devil's workshop. Keep yourself busy in a healthy and a good way. But on that day, he went out. He, he should have been on the battlefield, but he was back home at the, the, the palace. And he went out that day on the terrace and looked down. And the Bible says that he saw a woman bathing herself. And instead of fleeing from that temptation and running the opposite direction, he allowed the look to turn into lust. And he sent for that woman. They had a relationship together. You say, what was the big deal? She was a married woman, and her husband Uriah was out on the battlefield. Well, he sent her on her way, and life went on until one day news came back to David that Bathsheba was pregnant and the baby was his. Now he's got to come up with a plan. So he calls Uriah back from the battlefield and, and tries to have him uh, spend the night with his wife, but he refused to spend the night with his wife while the rest of the men were out at battle. So David goes a step further, tries to get Uriah drunk. But even a drunk Uriah has more character than a sober David. He still refuses to spend the night. So finally, David feels like he's out of options. He gets a piece of paper out, and he writes out Uriah's death warrant, folds it up, and puts it unbeknownst to Uriah, puts it in his hand, and has Uriah deliver his own death warrant. He goes to the battlefield, puts it in Joab's hand. Joab opens it up, recognizes the handwriting. He knows it's from David, and the writing says, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And so Joab does what David commands him to do. He puts Uriah in the most intense part of the battle and there Uriah's life is taken on the battlefield. Back home, David goes on to marry Bathsheba and life goes on as normal until the next chapter when the prophet shows up. It's the prophet Nathan. And he begins to share the, uh, the parable of the ewe lamb. It's a story of injustice. And he shares that story with David. And when David hears it, he is outraged and says, the man who committed that crime will pay for his sin. And Nathan looked at him and said, oh, David, thou art the man. And all of a sudden, the weight of David's sin came crashing down upon him. Listen to me. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin, but God uncovered their sin. Uh, David tried to cover his sin, but God uncovered his sin. Uh, Achan uh, tried to cover his sin, but God uncovered his sin. Uh, don't be deceived. Be sure your sin will find you out. Listen to me. You can't hide your sin from God. You can delete your history bar, but you can't delete your history bar from God. 
and your mama may not know about it, and your daddy may not know about it, and your spouse may not know about it, and your boss may not know about it, and your pastor may not know about it, and the rest of the church may not know about it, but how many knows that God has a way of bringing things to the surface that people thought they had covered up? Heed the warning today. Quit hiding it. Get it out in the open. Get it in the light. Confess it so you can move on with your life. Number one, sin is deceptive. You cannot hide your sin from God. Notice number two tonight, simple truth about sin. Sin is destructive. Sin is destructive. The very next battle on the list in chapter 8 or chapter 7 was the battle of Ai. And so Joshua sent the messengers, They checked uh, the spies, they checked it out, they came back, gave the report, and said, Joshua, don't send the whole army, just send about two or 3,000 men. We'll whip them and be on to the next one. Ai's a real small city. Here's the problem. They just came off a big victory in chapter 6. And uh, not one time do you find Joshua stopping to seek the Lord over this next battle. Had he stopped to seek the Lord about it, had he stopped to pray about it, God would have said, no, you're not ready. There's sin in the camp. There's things you need to deal with first, but he did not do that. And as a result, they went up to the battle that day, and instead of being the victors, they became the victims, and 36 men lost their lives at the battle of Ai on that day. You say, preacher, what was the problem? The problem was because there was sin in the camp, God took his hand of protection and blessing off of them, and as a result, 36 men lost their lives that day. Think about it with me tonight. That meant potentially 36 women had to live the rest of their lives without a husband. That meant that 36 children had to live the rest of their lives without a daddy. You say, preacher, what are you saying today? I'm saying your sin affects other people. You say, I'm just an island in of myself. I'm just going to live my own life and make my own choices, and it's not going to affect anybody else. That is a lie tonight. There's always a ripple effect. In fact, when somebody somebody makes a choice to sin, it is like a bomb going off, and everybody in the vicinity gets hit with a shrapnel. Everybody's bleeding. Everybody's bruised. Everybody's wounded and crying. That's what sin does. It always affects other people. Hear me. My sin will affect my wife. My sin will affect my kids. My sin will affect my church. My sin will affect my friendships. Come on now. Our sin affects other people. One man made a bad decision and it affected a whole lot of people. We saw this morning that one man made a good decision and it impacted a whole lot of people. Choices are a a big deal. They have consequences. They have an impact. Listen to me. Every person here has been hurt by somebody else's sin. Whether it's sin against you or somebody else's sin in your family, we've all suffered the consequences because somebody else made a bad decision and because of their sin, we've been hurt by that. And may that be a painful reminder tonight that our sin affects other people as well. Well, sin is deceptive and sin is destructive. The Bible says in verse number 10 of our text that, and the Lord said unto, well, in fact, let's look at, let's look at verse number 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord. You say, what's that all about? In the Old Testament, during times of great distress, they would rip their clothes and put a dust on their head and sometimes the sackcloth and ashes. This is, this is the only time casualties are recorded under Joshua's leadership. 
This is a dark moment in his life. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a, in a time of absolute distress. And by the way, sin will always bring distress to a life, to a marriage, to a home, to a church, to a community, to a nation. But the Bible says that in that time of distress, he went to the ark of the Lord. What does the ark of the Lord represent? That's the presence of God. He was a man who had just uh, suffered a failure as far as the unit is uh, concerned. And there in the midst of his failure, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his distress, he didn't run from God, he ran to God. You want to make a bad situation worse, then instead of running to God, run from God. Listen to me, when you and I go through difficult situations in our life, we don't turn from him. And boy, we Christians have a, a lot of different ways to cope, don't we? And we turn to this, and we turn to that, and we go on a Netflix binge. And all these different ways of trying to cope with the hardships of life, there's one place to go for the child of God, and that's to the presence of God. It goes on to say in verse number 10 of our text, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Don't you love the direct language of the Lord there? Get thee up. Can I say when you and I have been hurt because of our own sin or the sins of other people, there is a time for weeping, there is a time to lie on our face, there is a time for brokenness, but there also comes a time when we need to get up and deal with it so we can go forward for God once again. You know what God was saying to Joshua? Hey, it's not over. The story's not over. The chapter's not over. I'm not done with you. And may God have a word for you tonight, somebody that's struggling, somebody that's hurt. God is not done with you you tonight it goes on to say in verse number 12 therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed thing from among you here's what God's saying he said until you deal with the sin that is in the camp you're not going to have any more advancements any more uh, uh, victories you're not going to move forward any longer until you deal with the sin that is in the camp and listen to me you could preach this tonight as long as you and I have sin in our Christian lives, we cannot move forward for God spiritually either. Do you realize that sin will affect your prayer life? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That word iniquity talks about stubborn sin that God has dealt with you about, he's spoken to you about, he's convicted you about, but stubbornly you hold on to that sin and you say, I'm not going to confess that, I'm not going to get that right, I'm not going to repent of that. God says, fine, but your prayers won't reach any higher than this ceiling. It'll affect your spiritual growth. It'll affect our witnessing. You say, preacher, what's the point? Here's the point tonight. Sin is bad. That's the point. Sin hurt other people. Sin halted the progress. You can't go forward until you deal with the sin. In other words, can I say it this way? You can't move forward until you deal with the sin that is holding you back. You can't move forward until you deal with the sin that is holding you back. Sin hinders us. Sin blocks the blessings of God in our life and our family. Come on now. Well, number one, sin is deceptive. 
Number two, sin is destructive. And lastly, number three tonight, sin must be dealt with. Sin must be dealt with. You say, preacher, as you've been speaking on the outside, God's been speaking on the inside, and there are things that have come up in my heart and my mind. In fact, they keep on coming up, and I keep suppressing that and saying, no, it can't be that. That's not important. That happened a long time ago. That's not a big deal. Listen to me. That thing that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing up over and over in your heart and mind right now, that's what he wants you to deal with. You say, preacher, how do, I, how do I deal with it? Number one, there must be a specific confession. The Bible says in verse number 13, up, sanctify the people. And so God says, tomorrow morning, Joshua, I want you to gather everybody, and I want you to bring them around, a family by family, a, a, a tribe by tribe, family by family, man by man, and I'm going to show you who brought the sin into the camp. I'm just a simple country preacher, but can I say tonight, that sounds like a long, drawn-out affair to me. Couldn't have God just stuck his finger out of heaven and said, Achan, thou art the man? Could he have done it that way? But he didn't. Why did he go through this long process? I believe God was giving Achan an opportunity to repent. Can I say this tonight? And by the way, he was given an opportunity, but he grit his teeth and held on to the sin. You may be here tonight and say, well, haven't been caught yet. Haven't suffered because of it yet. Hadn't been in any consequences because of it yet. Do not mistake God's patience for God's permission. He's being gracious with you. He's gracious with me. Take advantage of the grace and the patience of God. And by the way, this is not, the, this is not a mean, angry God. Are you hearing me? This is a loving God. God loves you so much, he knows what sin will ultimately do to your life and your marriage and your family. And at times, out of love, he'll kick the doors down in your life to bring the sin out so it can be dealt with, so it can be confessed, so your fellowship with him can be restored and you can go forward for with him once again. If God did not love you, if God was a, a hateful, mean God, he would find you and I in our sin and he would turn his back on us and let us self-destruct. But God loves us too much to us in our sin. Number one, there must be a confession. So notice verse number verse number 20. The Bible says, and Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. How many knows there's a difference between being sorry for your sin and being sorry that you just got caught? He wasn't sorry for his sin. He was sorry that he got caught. But can I tell you something? Growing up, if I had done wrong, it was always better for me to bring it to mom and dad than for mom and dad had to bring it to me. Same in our relationship with the Lord. When we've done wrong, better for us to bring it to him than for him to have to bring it to us. Confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, you know this, means to agree with. You're not informing God. Lord, I have something to tell you. You didn't know this. No, he knew about it. You're not informing him. You're agreeing with him. God, I'm sorry. Those websites I've been looking at, it's, I'm, those are, that's wrong. The way I've been treating my spouse and my parents, it's wrong. My apathy. And my disinterest in you, it's wrong. It's confession. But then there's going to be a correction. The Bible says in verse number 22, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tents. Joshua came there that day and said, Boys, I found the sin. The Bible did not say, Ah, we'll take care of that later. We'll get around to that when we get some free time. No, the Bible says they ran to the tents. 
Can I say, if you have sin in your life tonight, you don't need to deal with it tomorrow. You need to deal with it tonight. If you're not right with the Lord, you don't need to get right on Tuesday night. You can get right tonight. When it comes time to dealing with sin, may we deal with it with a sense of urgency. They went and got the sin. They took it outside the camp. They stoned Achan, his family, and they just it set it on fire. They got the sin out of the camp. It's not enough to just confess the sin and keep on living with it. We need to confess the sin and get it out of our lives. Well, maybe there's some physical sin you need to remove from your life tonight when you get home. Maybe there's some sin in people you need to delete out of your life when you get home. Whatever it is, whoever it is that is holding you back from moving forward, get the sin out of the camp. Chapter 8, verse 1. Proverbs 28, 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. That's a wonderful promise. Adrian Rogers said it this way. He said, If you cover your sin, God will uncover it. But if you uncover your sin, God will cover it. Meaning if you confess it, he will cover it with forgiveness and grace and mercy. Chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, in chapter 7, they discover the sin and they dealt with the sin. Chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not. You know what that was? That was a word of encouragement. How many knows that Joshua needed some encouragement? Can I tell you about our God? He's the God of second chances. He's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of fresh opportunities. He's always for you picking yourself up, uh, confessing your sin, uh, dusting yourself off, and going forward once again. He says, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people, not just two or 3,000, take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. And you read the rest of the chapter. They took the whole army. They went up to Ai, they whipped the snot out of them, and they went back to living in victory once again. Can I ask you a question tonight? What chapter are you in? Some of you tonight are living in chapter 7. You're living in a chapter of defeat right now because there's sin in your life. Whether it's known sin, whether it's hidden sin, you're in chapter 7. And by the way, many a time I've been in chapter 7. From time to time I still slip into chapter 7. But the good news is tonight, if you confess and correct your sin, you may have come to church tonight in chapter 7, but you can leave church tonight in chapter 8, living in a chapter of victory. Is there sin in the camp? Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, sobering truths, truths that we don't always like to hear. But, Father, we know ourselves. We are sinners, and we are prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. So, Father, if there's one among us tonight who has sinned in the camp, then, Lord, help us to heed the warning tonight and find the hope of the passage that if we confess it and we correct it, we can go into a chapter of victory once again. Well, if you're here tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, say, Preacher, and I'm just going to keep it general. This is between you and God. Preacher, pray for me. There's some decisions I need to make. If that's you, would you lift your hand tonight? Preacher, that's me. Preacher, that's me. Preacher, that's me. Hey, this is a revival service. 
This is a week of revival. This is this is what these this is what this week is all about. You can't move forward until you deal with the sin that is holding you back. Father, bless the invitation tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.